Welcome to Filling the Gap. This episode is a continuation of Alyssa's story about her identity and her faith crisis. We are wrestling with understanding who we think we are, who we think others should be, and who we think God is. Alyssa's story picks up right where we left her and her faith, in a hospital room. That would be when I began coasting through my experience. I stopped praying, I stopped reading my Bible. So in this experience of coasting, I found myself very much being an escape artist. (laughs) Um, Escaping situations or even just escaping quiet time because if things were quiet, then I was forced to think about my life circumstances and my thoughts would consume me. Um, And I would hear God's voice trying to speak to me. I think media for me was the best way I found to escape because I could live in a different world. I could enter into a movie and feel what they were feeling. So it was often, you know, like humor um, centered things because I felt like my life was so depressing. There's a lot to unpack in Alyssa's struggle here. She's facing an immeasurable amount of stress, confusion, and disappointment. A, he was not planned, and I think that just that takes a part in your pregnancy experience or your motherhood experience. B, he wasn't what you expected, and you're grieving not necessarily what he is, but you're grieving the loss of what you expected. Yeah. And then now you're recognizing you're the one carrying the responsibility for all of this. Things were not necessarily looking up for Alyssa. And although God was not acting in the way she had prayed and hoped for, he was working. He gave her a community to help navigate her through this crisis. I remember there was this mom who was visiting the area, and I knew previously of her story. I'd even prayed for her. They'd wanted a baby for a really long time, and they got pregnant, and they had this beautiful baby boy, and he was only alive for a few hours. And thankfully, she got pregnant again, had this beautiful baby girl. She asked me if I wanted to hold her, and I just hold this beautiful baby. And God says, this is a miracle baby too. And she shared with me just such encouragement and knowing that in motherhood, all mothers experience some sort of a tragedy or a hardship. We, we all worry about our kids. We worry about them meeting their various milestones. We worry about what they're going to look like. We're worried about how people are going to treat our kids. And that's when it kind of hit me, like, I'm not alone in my journey. I had been isolating myself so much, and I didn't know how to process through my own pain, let alone share it with somebody else. And that's when I realized I had this amazing community of people who wanted to be available in my pain. I just wasn't letting them in. I've realized more than ever through my experience how much I really struggle with bonding and letting people in. I think as a result of having moved a lot, you know, people come in and out of your life and as a defense mechanism, you put up stronger walls. And my personality appears to be very social and to be very loving and accepting, and I am, but to really let somebody into that inner part of me is 
very difficult for me to do. And so that was when I allowed myself to fully embrace and love my child. Not to say that I didn't before, but I definitely kept him at a distance because with my moving around constantly in my life, you know, and struggling to fully bond with people, I didn't let myself bond with my son, you know, and I, I didn't have those extra opportunities like a normal mom does with feeding your child. And so I definitely kept him at a distance um, because of that, but then also having this medical condition of, well, is my child going to survive? Like, why would I fully invest in something and someone only to lose them so quickly? All these themes that were coming into play that I could spend hours talking about the intricacy of how God was just working on trying to shape my understanding of me as a person and who he is. The pain that Alyssa felt, that earth-shattering disappointment, was slowly melting away. By accepting herself, her community, and her child, life was clearing away the darkness in her world. But I think that's the part that I've loved also the most is recognizing, yes, my experience does look different and it does look abnormal, but I'm a mom just like any other mom. We all share a lot of the same commonalities and if we just take time to sit down and talk to each other, we get that. And the thing that I've loved about my experience coming into motherhood is all the mothers that have come in and you feel an instant bond with. It doesn't matter where you live or what you do or what color your skin is or how you gave birth to your baby or how you feed your baby. You're a mom. You could have adopted your child. It doesn't matter. You are a mom. And I think that's the part that I've appreciated the most is just this amazing camaraderie that I've experienced from other young moms um, who say, I see you. I see that you're struggling. I'm right there with you, but we're in this together. I'm only a phone call away. While this community was helping Alyssa feel embraced and accepted, little Andrew was teaching her how to love this experience and helped heal previous scars in her life. I think some of the lessons that I've learned through my motherhood experience is I don't need to be obsessed with appearance and perfection, of being okay with mess, That was one thing that in Andrew's feeding therapy, we were learning about this concept of messy play. And I was like, ugh, messy play. I I don't like mess. I want things to be cleaned. But I just had this imbalance of if everything could be clean on the outside, then I thought that I was clean on the inside. And so in this feeding therapy, a therapist is saying, yeah, you need to get him used to having food like on his hands, on his tray. I thought, well, on his, like, let it be on his face. Like, well, if he's not eating it, why? Like, what is the purpose of everything else being messy? To me, it just didn't make sense. Like, you have a goal, and that's the food goes in the mouth, not everywhere else. And she just looked at me, and she goes, you know, the fact that you're wiping off his hands and his face quickly is communicating to him that food isn't safe. But allowing it to be there communicates to him, this is safe, this is good, and soon he's going to want it in his mouth because he knows it's safe. And that was a very helpful lesson for me to learn is it's okay for the house to be a wreck. (laughs) It's a sign of life 
and I would miss it if you were gone. You know, it's okay that my child physically looks different and that he has goop running out of his eyes and vomit coming out of his mouth. He's alive. I think it sounds shallow to say that, but that was probably one of the biggest lessons I had to learn to be okay with was just accepting myself and accepting my family and our outward appearance. Um, I think another amazing lesson that I've had to learn through motherhood is patience. (laughs) I am a control freak and this whole experience has been completely out of my control. And so I've been very uncomfortable as a result. And it's this experience of learning I have to trust someone bigger and stronger than me. Um, I always, always felt 100% confident in my abilities to be a mom. You know, like, oh, you're caring for somebody else. You're planning fun activities. You're having fun with them. You're making food. Like, I was always 100% confident. I'll do a decent job. And uh, I just haven't been able to control the situation. And people stepping in, like doctors and physicians who supposedly have the training and education to help me control the situation or to fix the situation have not. Have they helped? Absolutely. But I think through this situation, God is teaching me in my motherhood experience that I can't control my life and other people are there to help, but ultimately everything has to fall on asking God for help and for him to control the situation. As these revelations are appearing, Alyssa and her family are beginning to see Andrew make progress in his health and development. So at that time, I started blending um, up all his own purees, and that was when we noticed that his vomiting ceased, which was amazing, like absolutely amazing. And that's when we started to get a lot more confidence too, to start going places, hanging out with people, letting other people watch Andrew because we knew he was going to be okay. It's just been incredible to see the changes that have taken place. I would say that he is still behind the average kid as far as progressing physically and mentally. I think we still have a lot of challenges up ahead. But the fact that we're seeing progression take place is very hopeful. Another significant change in their lives has been having nurses provide care at their home. This additional help and resources allows Alyssa to reconnect with herself and continue this discovery of who she is. We have these nurses come in and it's just been really helpful because I have time to actually step away and to remember that I'm an individual. And I think that that's probably an issue that a lot of moms do struggle with is that your identity becomes totally consumed into your children. I think that that's great, but when we forget um, who we are as a person, um, it can become dangerous. And then when our kids leave, and go off to college, it's like a mom has to figure out who she is again. I think that's something that I'm trying to prevent myself from going through. And because Andrew requires a lot more care than the average kid, it becomes greater of a tendency to do that. So having these nurses has just been wonderful for me to kind of take a step back, focus on school, sitting and just taking time to journal or to paint, which I'm not a great painter, but it's something else that I do or clean. So life is just night and day difference. And 
I think if my faith would have remained, it would have been something where I was praising God, but it was almost like when it started changing, like, yeah, that's right. You change things. I wanted life to look this way. Okay, now it's better. It wasn't this act of, yes, God, we have just been pushing through this together. I'm so happy. Something happened where I realized my heart was still hardened towards him. You know, he'd, he'd quote unquote, given me what I wanted and making my life better. And so I was happier, but there was that underlying depth of still unhappiness. And he just reminded me of that promise, Alyssa, in my presence is fullness of joy. At my right hand are pleasures forevermore. These movies, these social media, whatever you're turning to, you're not going to find a a joy and a depth of happiness and pleasure that you're going to find in that relationship with me. God had never left Alyssa. Even when things were spiraling out of control, when miracles suddenly disappeared, and when the foundations of her identity had shifted, God remained. And so I think I'm at a very humbling stage I thought that if I took a break from God, I could step right back in to where I left. And I'm realizing I can't. When life comes at you hard and you try escaping, you build habits. And it's very difficult to break those habits. And I think you just convince yourself, I can quit whenever I want. I can go back to living life the way that I used to live. And I struggle to let go of those habits. And enter back into living life in my quote-unquote normal way. And that prevented me in fully entering back into that walk with God because I didn't realize I wasn't letting him in completely. Life was looking better, but my relationship with him wasn't. And it's like exercising. You know, if you take a break from exercising and you try to go back to the gym and you haven't been there in, let's say, like two months, you go to pick up those 50-pound weights that maybe before you were used to doing, and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to start back at maybe 20-pound weights, and you have to build back up. I think we forget that our faith journey is very similar to exercise. If you don't use it, you lose it. You know, we used to wake up at like 2 a.m. in the morning and spend five hours with God sometimes, like reading our Bible, you know, probably more extreme than what most people are at. But again, my entire day was spent doing spiritual activities. So I kind of needed that. And so now it was like, I sat down the other day and I was trying to pray and read my Bible. And it was like 20 minutes. I'm like, okay, I need to do something else. <laughs> and it felt bad to say that to God. like, And he just, he's so patient with me. And I, I'm saying this, But I'm saying it because I think we need to hear that people who have been in spiritual positions, who maybe we've looked at as having a certain type of spiritual life, struggle to. And I'm not perfect. I recognize that. I struggle with wanting to appear perfect in front of other people. But I'm saying this to say, failure is when you give up. It's when you stop trying. I've heard it said often from Proverbs that the righteous man falls seven times. You know, he gets back up. The Christian walk isn't about having a perfectly consistent spirituality. Do we wish that? Absolutely. But until 
sin is completely done away with on this earth, I'm going to struggle. And so I'm getting back up (laughs) and I'm starting at ground zero and saying, God, I've pushed you away for this long. I'm going to start over with you. People are yearning to understand who they are and where their place is in this world. Studies have shown that over 50% of millennials claim to be going through a quarter-life crisis centered around their identity. And Christians are not seclu- Christians are not excluded from these statistics either. Having faith in your life doesn't always produce a clear path. Faith doesn't open every door. Prayers go unanswered. What faith does provide is comfort and knowing you're not alone in your journey. Madeline Langle, a children's author and a person of faith, says that the value of doubt is to keep you open to God's revelations. That if we don't doubt, we can't change. If we need finite answers to infinite questions, we're not going to move. Our doubts can propel us forward in our faith if we use it to seek God and seek His answers. Alyssa gives me hope in knowing that I may not be the only one with questions, with doubts, with disappointments, sitting in my pew at church. Next time on Filling the Gap, Jen shares her story about struggling with suicide and depression. When I was about age five was the first time I remember just not wanting to live. I remember telling my parents, it's okay if I die, I just don't want to be here anymore. It doesn't matter to me. And I was just this little kid who had such deep thoughts of this. And I remember looking at my little sister who said, no, you're supposed to be here, but the feelings would keep coming back because I just didn't feel like I mattered at home.